The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday morning at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Some of you may be planning this summer on taking uh, maybe a family trip, maybe you're going to be going on a road trip, going to be in the car for a while, and I would like to impart a lesson I learned on a family road trip once. Uh, my family and I, we were returning from Kentucky, we were driving, or driving through Kentucky rather, and um, we were at this place where we are trying to get to this southbound highway just to go due south, get back down here to South Florida. And, but unfortunately, we had to go this way long route to get to that highway, and so I decided I would look at the map and I would figure out a shortcut for us. I don't know if you ever tried to take a shortcut. Sometimes it's very successful, and sometimes you experience what happened to me. I look at this map and I say, okay, we could go way far out of the way, get to that big highway that goes all across the United States, or... There's this little state road that goes through there. I mean, it's got a name and everything, okay? It looks like a tiny little line, but I mean, we could just take that. It goes straight south, and then we can pick up the highway a little farther down the road. Okay, that'll work great. So we turn off the the highway we were on. We get on this little state road. We're driving through Kentucky, and we're seeing these, we're driving through these little towns, and we're like, okay, this isn't going as fast as we thought. Okay, there's this stoplight here, and then, well, it's, at least it's a scenic, sweet little town. And then we get to a town that's a little smaller than that. And okay, well, there's this blinking stoplight. And then, okay, well, there's a couple stop signs. And we're, as we're driving along, we're going through these sweet little towns. And the towns are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And now we're starting to say, some of these towns are like creepy little towns, I don't know if anyone's still living in these towns, okay, and we're driving along and it's country and getting more so by the minute, okay, the towns are getting smaller and smaller and then there were no towns, we're driving along and we're on this road and we're like, okay, at least we're on like a major road here and then all of a sudden it was not a major road anymore, it was now a one lane road. And we're saying, okay, this is getting bad. I, I mean, there used to be like farms and fields. Now there's just trees, okay? And the trees seem to get closer and closer to the road, okay? And now we're on this road. It's one lane. The trees are like growing over it. We're, we're like kind of like sandwiching on this little road. And then there was no road. Go off the asphalt. We're driving on this dirt path. And at this point, there's no way to turn around. Like I can't do like a 65-point turn and turn around. So the only option is to keep going forward, and we go forward. And then we see a sign. Now, I should have been concerned when I saw, like, some of the towns disappearing, and then there's nothing around. And this sign, I knew at this point that we had made a humongous error. It said, ferry crossing ahead. (laughs) We drive a little further. Now we're driving slowly. We're, like, looking around very carefully, and we pull up, and there is a creek and a little barge, and a scary-looking man all by himself. I might have made this up in my mind, but in my mind, he was wearing overalls with no shirt, okay? Just to kind of give you the idea, all right? There's no way to turn around, and so we, we pull onto the barge. It's just big enough for our car, and this one man who's smiling in us into, on a car at us, and we're just like, don't make eye contact, okay? Just look around. 
that barge got really, really small. Okay, that did not turn out to be the best shortcut ever. We did survive. I'm here. Don't worry. Still alive after that. But maybe you have done that before. You've been on a road trip, and you're like, ah, we don't need to stay on the main highways. Let's just take, this will be a shortcut for sure. And you take it. It turns out to be a long cut. Or maybe you try and take a shortcut and it turns into being, oh, when we get a dead end over here or a big detour, we got into traffic or we got completely lost or we're looking for this one road but it's named something else. Maybe you just got completely lost on a road trip. You're trying to take a shortcut. It just didn't turn out like that. All of a sudden you're on a road you don't even recognize. This was not the plan. I'm not even going the right direction anymore. Well, you can probably imagine there's uh, some proverbial wisdom in that, not just in taking a road trip, but just in how we walk along our journey in life. A lot of times, we're looking for the quick shortcut. I've got a plan. I know where I'm going, but you know what? I could go this way, but there's a shortcut here. I could just cut through here, and sometimes we try and take that shortcut, and it turns out disastrous. Or sometimes we're going along on the journey and all of a sudden there's been a wrong turn or this is not what's on the map and all of a sudden our life looks completely different than we were expecting. Okay, I was going on a a smooth road and now all of a sudden it's bumpy. I don't even know where I'm going to come up with another asphalt road anytime soon. This is just a gravel road. This is not at all what I was expecting. Or maybe all of a sudden you've been going along in life and you just see a detour sign. You're like, man, I was supposed to be here by now and now I've taken this huge detour. I had goals, I had plans. I was supposed to have this by now and have this in my career. My family was going to look like this, but I've taken this humongous detour. I've gotten way off track from my plan, from the plan that I was going in my life. Maybe when you think about your life, you wonder, man, this is not at all what I was expecting this was going to look like. We're looking at this story this morning. It's a story about... Noah and the ark and the flood. And the story is, what we've been doing in this series, we've been holding up the story up to the light, and we've been looking at this story from different angles. And no matter what angle you hold up the whole story to, it brings up the subject of doubt. And one of the ways that we often doubt in our lives is we're like, okay, God, uh, this is the plan that I'm going on. This is the map I've got for my life. And, and all of a sudden, we're like, man, I took this turn over there, and I don't know where I am. This is not at all what I was expecting my life to look like right about now. And oftentimes, what we question is not our navigation. We question the map maker. A lot of times, we're like, God, how could you get me here? How could I be in this position? How, I expected a long time ago to be here, and when are you going to come through for me? And when, when is my life going to start getting back on track and look the way it's supposed to? God, this is, looks nothing like I was expecting it to look. And it can cause us doubts creep in. Now, you may be here and say, you know what, I, I, you know, I appreciate that, but I, I really actually don't have much in, in the category of a relationship with God. I'm not even sure I believe in God. And if that's where you're at, I'm glad that you're here. That takes a lot of courage for you to join us this morning. I'm glad that you're here. And I hope you know you're not alone. There's several in here that are just saying, look, I'm I'm exploring spirituality. And I'm just glad that you have the courage to be here as we're just sharing about Jesus while you're in this process. But maybe one of the questions you have is on a bigger level. You're like, okay, look, I look around this world and I see there's a lot wrong with this world, but I I see what the Bible says or I've heard what the Bible says about God. It says there's a good God who should oppose all this evil and and he's supposedly all-powerful, so he should be able to eradicate this evil. But I look at all this evil and I say, where's God in it? How am I supposed to believe in a good, all-powerful God if there's all this evil floating around? I I just don't know what I believe about God. Well, this passage, maybe above maybe almost any other in the scripture. This is a dramatic story of God bringing a flood upon the earth and it forces this question, how does a good God let something like this happen? 
We're going to look at uh, Genesis um, chapter 8 in just a second, and I just want to get you kind of caught up if you're just joining us, joining us about the story. The story begins like this. God looks down on humanity, looks down on the earth, and he describes it like this. He says it's full of violence and corruption. The way they're describing it is it's literally just pulling itself apart. The world is just killing itself. He says, he looks down and he sees that and he says, okay, here's my plan for dealing with this evil. I can't just sit back and see this evil, so I've got to deal with it. So he says, okay, Noah, he pulls out this man, he's a righteous man. He says, Noah, you and your family, I want you to build this giant ship, build an ark. You're going to bring all kinds of animals onto this ark. You're going to go into the ark, seal it up, and then I'm going to send a flood. And the flood's going to wipe out everything on the planet except you and those animals are going to be safe. And the floodwaters are going to rise. You're going to be safe on this ship. And then when the waters go back down, it's going to come to rest on the land. And that's exactly what happened. They come out of the, out of the ship. And the, God's plan is that that family and those animals would repopulate the earth. He's starting over. That's his plan. Now that forces a question. Man, God's good and he's merciful and he's gracious. He just wiped everything out on this planet. How, does, how do those two things fit together? You say, well, I know. I mean, you know, you look at the Old Testament. God's just kind of ruthless in the Old Testament. When you look at the New Testament, he's like nice and he's gracious and he's loving. But the Old Testament is when he's, he's really ruthless and mean. I don't know what happened in between. But, but hang on a second. Listen to these scriptures. These are all from the Old Testament out of Psalms. I mean, look at some of these scriptures. Psalm 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God is good, by definition, is what this verse is saying. And what he's saying is that his love is going to last forever. Look at this next one, Psalm 119.68. It says, you are good. It's talking to God. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. How about this one, Psalm 145.9. This is so dramatic. It says, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. I mean, how do you square Psalm 145.9 with something like the flood? He loves all, he does good to all, he's merciful to all. It looks like he just destroyed everything with the flood. How do those things fit together? Well, here's what's so beautiful about this story is that the writer of the story doesn't ignore those questions and deals with them straight head on in this passage. We're looking at Genesis chapter 8. It's going to be up here on the screens. If you've got a Bible or Bible app, you can go to Genesis Chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 20. Genesis 8, verse 20, this is after the flood, Noah and his family and the animals have come out of the ark, and here's what happens next. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every bird and offered Burnt offerings on the altar. Now think about this for a second. First thing he does, he builds an altar. He takes some of the clean animals. This doesn't mean like animals that they just bathed. Okay, these are ceremonially clean animals. And he offers them as a burnt offering to God. It means that he literally kills them, puts them on the altar, builds a fire, and the smoke goes up and it's supposed to go up to God as a sacrifice. Now, can we just talk about how delicate the situation is right now with life on planet Earth? You've got one family, and you've got very few animals that are to repopulate the Earth, remember? So, let's just think about this for a second. If you have, okay, two aardvarks, okay, you have two dogs, 
you have two kangaroos. If one of those kangaroos just accidentally hops off a cliff, some of you laughed, and that is sick and twisted of you. I am personally offended, okay? If this kangaroo accidentally hops off a cliff, okay, that's it. No kangaroos on planet Earth anymore. Okay, I want you to think about how unbelievably delicate this situation is. And here's Noah building an altar to God first thing and killing some animals and offering them up to God. Why in the world would he do this? Well, we find out, if we were to rewind a little bit, what we find out is that actually God prepared him for this sacrifice. God provided in advance. He said if we had kept reading back in chapter 7, we would have found out that he said, okay, I want you to take two of every kind of animal. He says, but I also want you to take extra of the clean animals. I want you to take seven pairs. And so what we have here is that God has provided for this sacrifice, but still think about it. They're repopulating the planet with these animals. That is tremendously costly. This might be one of the most costly sacrifices in the history of mankind before God, that he offers them up to God. What's the deal with this sacrifice? It it must be immensely important. If God prepared them for it, Noah offers them up, and they go up to God. That's such a costly sacrifice. It must be immensely important. What's the deal with that? Let's keep reading. Look at verse 21. Go to Uh, Verse 21, let's finish this part off. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Now I want you to look up here on the screens. Look at this underlined part. This is key. I want you to read this out loud with me. Read it with me. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now that's key. Hang on to that part. Goes on. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now here's the first thing we see in these verses. The first thing is the aroma of the sacrifice goes up to God. Now this metaphor, obviously God is spirit, so what's the point of this metaphor? Aroma is very, very powerful. To illustrate that, I just want to give you one test case. Have you ever been walking through the mall and there's this little store known as Cinnabon? And coming wafting from this incredible little store is the scent that is directly from heaven. Okay, I don't know what arrangement they have with God, but the scent is wafting out. And unless you're like, have some superhuman power, Like you lose all control of your body at that point. Five minutes later, you're at the counter shelling out money and you're stuffing your face with the Cinnabon. It's very powerful marketing. Did you know that Cinnabon actually has arranged their stores intentionally, putting the ovens in the front, towards the front, so this wicked, wicked Cinnabon, so that the aroma goes out into the mall. Do you know they do that intentionally? In fact, there's an entire industry called scent marketing. They use what they call aroma billboards. Let me give you an example of what this is like. There's a hard rock cafe in Orlando, and they have downstairs this ice cream parlor. And they started pumping out artificial scents, the scent of sugar cookies and waffle cones. They start pumping that out to draw people down into their ice cream parlor. And after they started doing that, their, their uh, sales increased 
45%. Okay? Hershey's experimented with this. They have a vending machine, a Hershey's vending machine, and they put what they call scent strips on the outside of the vending machine so that when people are walking by, they smell chocolate. And they walk over, somehow the chocolate smell is coming out of the vending machine, okay? And they smell that, and that actually tripled their revenue. Disney, they actually, a lot of their hamburgers, especially some of the stands, are uh, frozen hamburger patties. But they have pumped out the artificial smell of, of, of grilled meat pumped out. So people are like, wow, how fresh these hamburgers smell. I have to have one. Okay, this is called scent Marketing, aroma is very powerful. Think about when you pull into your driveway and your neighbor down the street is grilling steaks and all of a sudden you're like, I love that neighbor. I'm going to go knock on his door. Okay, very powerful. Why, what is this metaphor about? Is God like, wow, Noah, that smells good, what you're grilling down there. What's happening? Is that what this is about? No, so much more powerful than this as the smoke is rising up to heaven when he says it was a pleasing aroma. Here's literally what it's describing. He is approving this sacrifice. He's accepting it. It's acceptable to him. He's saying, yes, that's a good thing. And you notice it prompts him to say, and I will never destroy the earth like that again. The smell, the approval of that sacrifice makes him say, I will never again destroy the world like that out of my wrath. Makes him turn, it makes him, inspires that statement is the way it's presented in Scripture. So wait a minute, so he's, so he's saying, okay, he's never going to destroy the flood, but there's more with a flood again, but there's more in here. Did you notice that it actually describes evil? It actually, the scripture here is instructing us about evil. It's telling us how evil operates, and there's a couple things that we learn. The first thing that it said, that underlined part that we read, the first thing we learn about evil is where it's located. You, know, you may have been tempted before to say, man, God, why is there so many problems here on this planet? Why don't you just get rid of evil? Just annihilate it. Just go through and vacuum up all of the evil particles and just let us have just a happy planet. Well, the scripture teaches us about evil. It's not that simple. Because he tells us where evil is located. It says it dwells in the hearts of humanity. Where is evil? It's not this external force just floating through the planet. It's in our hearts is where evil is. I don't know about that. I mean, I don't feel evil. Maybe like Hitler was evil in his heart, but I don't feel evil myself. Well, there is, there is what's in our hearts at its root is a self-centered pride. And from that, as that takes root, it drives us farther and farther away from God, deeper and deeper into evil, deeper into sin. For example, Pride can lead us to anything on the spectrum from something like rudeness to all the way to murder. Say, well, rudeness, that's not really, I mean, that's not evil. Well, think about it. Say, murder might be evil, but rudeness, but think about this. A brash word, rude word, that can murder someone's self-esteem. The wrong set of words from a friend, a parent, a loved one, a spouse, Man, that can hang around with someone for years, wreaking havoc on their self-esteem. Essentially murdering them. How about a a self-centered, gossiping word? That can murder someone's reputation. That could murder someone's relationship. I say something to this person about this person, that might ruin their friendship. I can do all kinds of damage because of self-centered, prideful motives in our hearts. 
See, we say, God, why don't you get rid of evil? And what we see with the flood is God saying, yes, this is what it looks like to deal with evil. It's a flood. Wait a minute, you're telling me that, man, no, that, that can't be right. There's all kinds of people that, that were, that all kinds of life that was lost with the flood. You're telling me there's no innocent life lost in the flood? Did you notice that that passage answers that question too? It says not only is there evil in our hearts, but there's been evil in our hearts from our youth, from the very beginning. You know, Rebecca and I, our, our daughter, my wife and I, we have a daughter named uh, Scarlett. She's um, not yet two years old, and she is just, she's a sweetheart. She just is, she takes after her mom, thankfully, and she just, she's just a soft, kind, loving heart. She'll take her stuffed animals, and she'll comfort them, walking them around the house, and she loves her little brother and very concerned when he's crying, and so she's just a, a sweetheart. She's also about to turn two, so she's starting to push the envelope a little bit, and she's starting to exert, you know, some of her own preferences. And so not too long ago, uh, we were, I was bathing Scarlett, and the water was on, and she was looking at the water coming out of the faucet, and she had her little toys around in the bathtub, and, and uh, she sees the water, and she's playing with it, and then it was time for me to turn off the water, so I turned off the water, and she goes, more water, more water? And I said, well, we're all done with, with the water, and, and she's getting a little upset. No, she wants the water, and I said, Scarlett, you need to calm down. Uh, we're all done with the water. And she looks at me. And right there is the, the edge of the tub, and she grabs her little toy boat. And without saying a word, she goes, tap, as if to say, I think I've spoken my piece. I believe I've said enough here, okay? And just looks at me like, okay, now that we understand each other, okay? She takes that. Now, I'm looking at her, and I'm like, I have to turn away until I'm not laughing, because I have to deal with this terrible act of rebellion right here. And so I'm like turning, I'm trying not to laugh, I'm pulling my, getting my composure, and I, you know, I have to correct this. But what is this in her heart? That, you know, Rebecca and I think the sweetest little girl ever to be born. What do we see inside her heart? She's starting to push the envelope. She's got an agenda. She's got some self-centeredness that's starting to appear in her heart, and all of us do. You don't have to train a child to have that. It's lurking in all of us. There's no one that's innocent. And what we hear is the Bible is boldly proclaiming God is a good God. He does good to all and he works mercy for all. So what does that mean with the flood? He looked down at the world pulling itself apart. Treacherous to live at the time of the flood. We probably can't even imagine. And he's saying a better, safer route to spare humanity is to start over. And so he puts Noah in the ark. See, here, here's what we have to see here. Is this is, he's describing how he's dealing with evil. He's dealing with evil by dealing with us because it's inside of us. He wipes out the world. And you say, okay, wait a minute. So you're telling me the options are, if God's going to deal with evil, you're saying the options are destroy everyone or just leave evil going around in the planet. Are those the only two options? Well, do you notice what it said in this text? He, sm he, he smelled the aroma of the sacrifice. And he said, I'll never do that again. Here's what he's hinting. I've got another plan now. See, I'm gonna, I can't sit by and let evil happen. I can't watch humanity suffer with evil. But I've got a new plan. It's not going to be to wipe out all life. The new plan is this. Instead of wiping out, eradicating human life, I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to do it through a, through a sacrifice, a pleasing sacrifice, 
a costly sacrifice, but a sacrifice that God provides for in advance. God, knowing that he's going to redeem humanity, sends Jesus, the Son of God. God himself in the flesh. He says, I am going to be the sacrifice. He comes down to earth. He lives a perfect life. But he's nailed on a cross as a sacrifice to God. He dies on the cross in agony and in separation from God. And God says, that is a pleasing sacrifice. That sacrifice is a pleasing aroma. I accept that sacrifice on behalf of humanity. And Jesus dies on the cross and he rises again from the dead. And God says, if anyone puts their faith and says, yes, let that sacrifice count for me, they will be declared forgiven. They will be declared righteous. They will be declared washed clean. They will be clean. See, here's the problem. We can sometimes look at the world and say, God, there's evil anywhere. Why don't you do something about it? That's this big problem. Some people say, man, I don't even believe in God because if, if God is good, he'll eradicate evil. If he's powerful, then he can, he can eradicate evil, but there's evil. So either he's not good or he's not all powerful. You've got to pick which one you're going to go with because they don't all fit. But this text says the problem is you don't understand the full story. He is eradicating evil. But he's so loving, he's doing it in a different way. He's doing it in a way that spares humanity. He's cleaning humanity out. He's cleaning us out from the inside out. He's pulling the evil out of us and he's making us holy. There's a story that's happening. Yeah, but see, that, that philosophical, those big picture questions, that's usually not really our question, is it? That's really not what we're deep down wrestling with most likely. You know what we're really wrestling with? God, why are you letting this happen in my life right now? The formula looks like this. Okay, if God is a good God, if he really loves me, then he would want me to be happy and healthy and successful. And if he's really loving, if he's good, he'd do that. Happy, healthy, successful. But if he's all-powerful, he can. I mean, he could change these circumstances. He could make me happy, healthy, and successful. But I look at my life, and somehow this road that I thought I was on is not the road that I was planning. Some point, there's some detour. I, I was, we were on this path, and we all had, the, we had this goal, and God and I had this understanding, and now I'm on this wide detour. I was supposed to be way farther down the road in my career. I was supposed to be, my family was supposed to look way differently by now, or I thought I'd be in a way different place by now. And all of a sudden, I'm at a dead end, or I'm, I'm, I had to pull off the road for a while. This is nothing like I thought it was. And you know what's creeping into our lives? is creeping is doubt. Saying, God, I, I thought you were good, and I thought you were powerful, but why are my circumstances like this? you see, this passage is addressing that. It's addressing our wrestling, our doubt with God. See, we think first and foremost, if he's a good God, we think his number one agenda for us is our happiness. But what it's saying here is God's number one agenda for you is holiness. Look at what this verse says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Look at this, this powerful verse. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Look at this, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He did this in his love. You realize what he wants for you? He's wanting for you to be holy. It's more than that. But here's the, the incredible thing about it. It's not an either or. He's essentially saying this, you can pick if you're going to aim your life for happiness or aim your life for holiness. And sometimes we try and take shortcuts to happiness and it doesn't turn out so well. 
It says you can either pick your aim, your chief aim at happiness or holiness, but here's what he's warning you. If you aim chiefly for happiness, you will get neither. But if you shoot chiefly for holiness, in the end you'll find both. Because as you draw closer to God, you find out He is the object of our happiness. You find out that it is His ways that lead to deep, lasting joy and satisfaction. Now you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. We go through trials, it builds character, that's fine. But that doesn't make me feel any better. I don't, there's sometimes I just, I'm done building character. I'm done. Okay, we got it. I built the character. I've got the endurance. My faith is better. My patience is better. God, can we just move along? I'm, I'm done with the character thing. I don't want to build character anymore. I'm ready for you just to start answering my prayers. But can we just stop for a second? Do you realize how badly you want him to build holiness in your life? It may sound like, oh, he's building the kind of the stuffy, confined holiness and making me better. No, do you realize how deeply that's really what you want? That the best possible thing God could do for you is to build holiness into our life and pull out and eradicate this selfish, prideful, the evil that's in our hearts, to pull that out. That's the best thing a good God could do for you. Here's what I mean. Do you realize right now your exhaustion, I'm not just talking about you're tired and you need a vacation. I'm talking about deep down your soul is tired. The kind of tired that, man, am I doing the right thing? I I just don't know if I could do this anymore. You know that deep down, that emptiness? You say, man, is this all there is? And, and you just distract yourself from this emptiness with some kind of entertainment or some kind of pleasure so you don't have to force the question of, man, is it, what's the point of all this? Do you realize what's at the root of that exhaustion and that emptiness? It's our idolatry. It's trying so desperately to find satisfaction and significance in something else. It's, I find so much self-worth in the success of my kids that I'm running my family ragged to try and get them to this and this and this. And I'm exhausted. My life's out of balance because I'm trying. My idol is that my kids are successful, then I'll feel successful. Or I've got to have this advancement in my career so my, my health is out of balance, my finances are out of balance, my relationships are out of balance, my spiritual life's out of balance because I am just hitting it so hard to force this achievement that I need so desperately. We're exhausted because there's idolatry in our hearts. And God's saying, I'm at work pulling this out of your heart. There's nothing you want more than that. Do you realize the pain and the bitterness in our life, just the pain, so much of it, is the sin lurking in our hearts. So much of it is, is the, the addiction that I, I'm stuck in because I think it's bringing me happiness or it's keep, I think it's keeping me afloat. It's the only thing that's keeping my head above water. That's why I do this. And, and we don't realize the pain and the guilt and the shame and the dissatisfaction, the emptiness and the depression that's driving me into. I don't realize that it's the same sin in my life that's bringing brokenness into these relationships. It's the sin I'm not willing to address, the selfishness I'm not willing to address that's causing this friction in my friendship and this marriage and this relationship with my kids. And, I, and God's saying, trust me, the best possible thing I could do is pull that sin out of your life. Do you realize all that stress and that worry that's just boiling over, causing you to suffer the agony of insomnia? Your stomach's in knots irritable and grumpy and you're just unhappy because of the stress that's weighing down and you know what it's at the core of that it's our faithlessness 
our lack of submission, our need for control. And God's saying, please trust me, the thing you want most is for me to make you holy. There's no prayers I could answer better than that. There's no agenda that I could have that's better than that. There's no long journey that you could go on that's better than that. See, what we've got to do is we've got to adjust our expectation of what God's priority is for us. We've got to let this passage speak into our life and stop saying, God, why aren't you making me happy and successful and healthy and why aren't you doing it faster? And realize, all right, God, I know what you're doing. You're doing something far greater, far more superior. You are in the process of making me holy. No shortcuts. I'm going to go along on this journey. See, here's how our relationship with God usually starts. It usually starts like this. It starts as uh, anonymous. We don't really know God. We've heard of God, but there's, you know, he's not a real being in our life. He's just kind of distant. We start with him being anonymous, don't really know who he is. And then, and then we kind of get to know God. We hear about God, and he becomes an acquaintance. That's kind of the next level. Okay, I know God. Uh, you know, I stop in and talk to God every now and then. I dabble in some religion, or I pray here and there, read my Bible sometimes. Sometimes I come to church. I know him a little bit. He knows me. But then at some point I realize he's got to be in my life a little bit more. So here's how, what he becomes next. He becomes eventually kind of like my agent. All right, God, I know that you're supposed to be in my life, so let, let's kind of put our heads together here. Here are my goals. I need you to be at work behind the scenes making them happen. Here's my career. You know, okay, here's, here's that promotion that I want. So God, I'm praying for it. I'm expecting you to do your part and kind of do the behind-the-scenes spiritual negotiations and make this happen. God, here's that job. I need a job. You're supposed to be out there finding me a job, or you're supposed to be out there finding me a spouse. You're supposed to be out there finding me success or finding me uh, whatever it is that I need. God, I'm doing my part. I've I've brought you along. You're supposed to be doing your part. I've kind of given you the goals for the week. Please take care of them. But don't worry, God. There's a kickback for you being my agent. You know, you know that if you give me that position or if if I get that, I'll give it back to you. I'll do it for your glory. I mean, I know you own the universe and everything, but it's a little kickback for you, God. It's right. It's in your best interest, right? He becomes our agent. But man, at some point we realize the truth is that he's supposed to be this, and he is this. He's the author. Do you know what God's doing? What he's done, he's written your story down every page Every chapter, he has a journey and a plan. Psalm 139 says, All the days ordained for me were written down in your book before one of them came to be. It means at the beginning of time, he wasn't like, Oh, yeah, there's so and so. Man, I should probably figure out how that story is going to end. All right, let's type that. Okay, that's good enough. No, no, that's not what that means. That means he sat down to write your story and just the creativity went flowing out and the passion and oh, then this will happen and, and then this will happen and this chapter, this will be intense chapter and this will be an incredible happy chapter and then this chapter is going to be a long season but he's like, but man, it's going to be so good and he's writing a perfect masterpiece. It's unique to you. It's not plagiarized from anyone else. He is writing a masterpiece for you of your story and it's got long seasons. You're like, this is a crazy detour. This is a longer journey than I thought. I thought I'd be farther down the road. And he's saying, no, but I'm writing you a story and trust me, the end result is the best possible result. It's your holiness. And by the way, that's where you're gonna find happiness. What we've gotta do is just simply this morning adjust our expectation and say, okay, God, 
I know what your number one goal is. I don't have to beat my head against the wall wondering why you're not doing the things I think you need to do because I know you've got a greater goal and thank you for that. That is absolutely what I need the most. And I can trust him. He's the author of my life. You know, really, interestingly, if we rewound to the beginning of the story of Noah, we'd find that it's actually very interesting. Back in chapter 5, when Noah is born, his father, Lamech, names him Noah. And the word, the Hebrew word for Noah is very similar to the Hebrew word for rest. So actually, he's, it's, he's naming his son Rest. And he says, basically, because we need rest from our toil, toiling with this cursed ground. And if you remember back to Adam and Eve, we talked about this months ago. Do you remember the consequence of sin was the cursed ground? And now we strive and toil, and there's exhaustion in this world, and, and stress in this world, and there's pain in this world, all because this planet is cursed because of sin. And so his father, Lamech, is naming Noah rest, because he's going to bring us rest from all of that. He's actually saying Noah's going to be a type of savior, saving humanity. What's interesting, we, wait a minute, but we still have all that here on this planet. Well, it's all pointing to an even greater Savior that would come, named Jesus. But he op- operated a little different than Noah, didn't he? So Noah said, I'm going to save humanity. I'm righteous. I will survive and the rest of the world will be destroyed. But Jesus said this, I'm righteous and I will be destroyed so everyone else can survive. And I will take their unrighteousness on myself so that they can become righteous. It was that Savior that said these words in Matthew. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Do you need rest for your souls? We all do. And maybe this morning you need to find rest and a one who's authoring your life with passion and joy, and he's drawing out the best in your life, you can trust his plan and this journey. Just rest. Rest in him today. Some of you need to find rest at a more fundamental level. You're roaming around in this life, trying to figure out what the right answer is. Well, maybe I've got to live better, or maybe I've got to do this, or find success, or maybe try to be religious, and I'll do all the right things. And, and God is saying, nope, that's not the way you're going to find rest. Yeah, but i got all this guilt. I've done some things in my past. You don't know what I've done. I've got to make up for the bad I did in my past. And God's saying, you can't. But there's still a way you can find rest. You can just simply put your faith in Jesus, that he was an acceptable sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. And God said, I accept that sacrifice on your behalf. Just say, yes, Jesus died for me. He took away my sin. And God said, you will find rest in my love. He says, I will have nothing left for you but love. All of my anger and punishment and wrath went on Jesus. You can once and for all be forgiven today and know for sure that you'll be in heaven when you die. Is that you? Do you want to find rest in the sacrifice of Christ and the blood of Jesus? Then I want to lead you in a moment where you can accept that before God. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here and you're saying, I want to accept that forgiveness today for the first time, then I want to just lead you in a prayer right there in your seat. This is just between you and God. 
Just pray this prayer. Make these words your own in your heart. God, thank you for loving me even though I don't deserve it. I confess that there's sin and brokenness in my life, in my heart, pride and self-centeredness. Thank you for loving me and sending Jesus to be the sacrifice for dying in my place. Thank you. I want to begin, I want to accept that, that he died and rose again for me. And I want to begin a relationship where you're making me more like you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.